The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. It's a joy to be back. Uh, Marianne, my wife, wave, wave your hand, honey. There she is, my wife. We're here for Bill's installation service, which, how many years ago was that? Three? Y'all still keeping him? Okay. Well, Bill was with me for five years in Rock Hill. Uh, he is an exceptionally gifted young man, very good preacher of the gospel. In fact, when we called him to Rock Hill, it was to team preach with me. I preached 60% of the time, and Bill preached 40%. We went through books just like you're going through uh, the Gospel of Mark now, looking at Jesus and all that he taught about discipleship out of the Gospel of Mark. So today it's uh, our privilege to pick up again in the fifth chapter. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles there to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Now, it's been a very hectic time in Jesus' life. If you read the early chapters, you will see how everywhere he went, he drew crowds. They constantly were around him. And over the last couple of days, when we come to this account, some major things had taken place. He was absolutely exhausted. And so he called his disciples, and it was evening, it was, it was nighttime, he's exhausted, he calls his disciples, and they get in the boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's the context of what's going on here. He's so exhausted that he literally falls asleep in the boat. And you remember what happens while they're out in the sea? There is a terrible, terrible storm that comes up. I've been to Israel several times, and two of the times I've been there, we've actually been out on a little boat in the Sea of Galilee and watch the clouds and the wind blow in. There is a place going over toward Nazareth where they blow in, and you can feel it. It was pretty exciting, I'll tell you that, to imagine what it was like out on that sea. The disciples, Jesus is asleep. The disciples were absolutely fearful for their lives. They knew they were going to die. And so they wake Jesus up. You remember the question they asked him? Do you not even care about us? Now, can you imagine that they would have such audacity as to say a thing like that to Jesus? But they did. And then he woke up, and you remember what he did? He calmed the storm. He spoke, and they, we are told, were absolutely fearful and amazed at his power over nature. They travel over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Unless you've been there, you can't appreciate what this is saying. Capernaum is on the northern side of the sea. There's a place today, it's called Cursai, and it's on the eastern side of the sea. This was the region of the Gadarenes. And do you remember what happened there? He pulls up after this exhaustion, after this storm, they pull into the shore, and he is met with a demon possessed man whose name was what? Legion, remember? Because there were all kinds of evil spirits in him. This man had been bound, this man had, everybody had tried to help this man. He was roaming among the tombs there. Now, I'll tell you, to this day, if you go to that region and you cross over to the other side and you go to Cursai, 
you will feel in the true Marian, you were there with me, you feel the evil. Tombs in this man. He lived in the tombs. It was an evil place. He's helpless. He's controlled by demons. And in fact, do you remember what was said out of his mouth? Why have you come to trouble us? The demons believed. They knew who he was. And miraculously, Jesus healed him. He came to his mind, total census. <laughs> you remember what the crowd did? Remember what the people did who were there? Jesus, would you please get out of here? Leave. And they drove him off. He gets back in the boat, goes back up to the other side of the sea, up around Capernaum, where so much of his northern Galilean ministry took place that you're studying in Mark right now. He goes back up there, and what happens? He's met with a great multitude. Now, two miracles are going to happen in the text we pick up. So I want you to turn there with me. This is Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21, after those events. This is God's Word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him. Now, can you picture this for a minute? Here he is, he's going. Great crowd followed him <clears throat> and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. <clears throat> She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. <clears throat> and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house those who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, now listen carefully what he said. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother 
the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And which he had entered, he said, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, kuma, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Holy Spirit, you're the very one who inspired Mark to pen these words. And now we call upon you to illuminate our hearts and minds that we would understand not only just intellectually what happened here, but that your word would penetrate deeply into our hearts. For we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, thank you. Bill's got you trained good, Matt. You know? You're all right. Now, what I want us to do this morning is to really look at the three characters in the, in the story. I want us to look at Jairus. And then I want us to look at the woman who was healed. And then I want us to look at Jairus' daughter. So we're going to look at those three characters in the story. And you're going to see a common theme as we go through. Now let's start with Jairus. We're simply told here that he was a ruler of the synagogue, probably an an elder. He was a, a very prominent man, a leader, one who was in charge, one who was used to making decisions, one who was in control of things. That's Jairus. He was well-known. When Jairus walked around, oh, there's Jairus. He's one of our leaders, powerful man. But that very powerful, prominent man had a huge need. His little 12-year-old daughter was deathly ill, and he was afraid. Now, what parent is not fearful as you're raising your children? Of what can happen. I remember when mine got old enough to drive and I gave them the set of keys and they went. You, you remember those? Some of you did a parent's here. You give them the set of keys and you're like, oh God, please, you know, protect them. Or they go through times of illness. In my ministry, perhaps the most painful, difficult times of ministry have been with parents who lost children. There's no greater grief than that. There's a sense in which you never get over that. And this man was fearful. His daughter, whom he loved, 12 years old, was deathly ill. And you know what? He couldn't fix it. You know, you stop and think about that. His only hope, and I'm sure he tried everything, he knew the leading physicians. I'm sure he had called for prayer, but his only hope was to go to Jesus because he had heard about him. And he finds Jesus and he says, will you please come and lay your hands on him 
That's the only hope that he had. Now, I want to stop here and make an observation. It doesn't matter who you are, how much power, how much influence, how much money. There are things in life you can't fix. My church in, in Rock Hill, Westminster, we had a, a number of leading business people, men and women in our community there. And I was with them through times when they wanted to fix everything, and I would have to say, you can't fix this one. You understand that? I'm a fixer. I want to fix everything. But God is going to bring things in your life that will show you you can't fix them. And generally, in those times when he brings those painful things in your life, and you realize it's out of your control, those are the times that you meet God in new ways. I had that experience a number of years ago. My wife of 37 years died of leukemia. We'd lived a fairy tale life. She suffered cancer, terrible kind of leukemia. And I'm telling you, I wanted to fix it, but I couldn't fix it. God wonderfully gave me my bride of four years, Mary Ann, who, by the way, was a member of my church for 25 years. I was a preacher. How'd you like to be dating the preacher? That's a little weird, isn't it? <laughs> but anyway, she, she was bold. She dated me. It took me two years to get her to marry me. But right after we got married, I went through a terrible depression. I've never been depressed in my life. I was out of ministry six months. I could not make decisions. Mary Ann had been single 25 years. She marries me. I fall to pieces after that. And I can only imagine, in fact, I can't imagine what she must have gone through. And you know what? Can't fix it. You're going to find in your life there are things you can't fix. Jairus, this great leader, didn't matter who he was, how important he was, how influential he was, how rich he was, how prominent he was, he couldn't fix it. And the only thing he could do was to go to the one that he had heard could fix it. And he went to Jesus, and he said, please, come, lay hands on. Jesus went with him, and a great multitude gathered around him. In fact, Mark emphasized it, says they were pressing on him. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you're in a big crowd of people, and you're just pressed? Well, that's what was happening here. And then the story's interrupted. And it's interrupted by a woman, a poor woman who was in the crowd, a nobody. What was her name? We don't know. She was a nobody. Now, what a contrast to Jairus. Jairus, the prominent leader of the synagogue. Everybody knew him. Here's a poor woman in the crowd. We don't even know her name. But like that prominent leader... She had a need. She had an illness. She had been to every doctor she knew. And she only got worse. 
And besides that, she'd spent all of her money. But she had heard about this man, Jesus. And she thinks, if only I can touch his garment, I'll be healed. Now, let me ask you this. Is that faith? If I can only touch his garment, I trust him so much, dare, I would not dare stand before him and make such a request because I'm such a nobody. But if I can touch his garment, and she does, and immediately she's healed. Jesus perceives some of his power has gone out. He says to his disciples, who touched me? They said, Lord, are you kidding me? Look at this crowd. How in the world could you know? And at that point, the woman comes up. She had hidden her faith at first, but then she came up, and she was honest with Jesus. And he said, oh, your faith. You're healed. Go in peace. Then we come back to the story while all of this was happening. A word comes from Jairus' house. Your daughter died. Why are you going to trouble the teacher anymore? It's too late. Talk about hopeless. Too late. There's nothing we can do about it now. All of his hope was gone. But then Jesus turns to him and says to him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. It's interesting at that point, you realize what happens. He goes there to the house, and indeed she was dead. And it was quite a commotion. Weeping, wailing. Matthew's account of this says there were flute players who were playing flutes, crying, wailing. I had an experience uh, early in my ministry. as a child who was tragically killed. His mother had been involved in witchcraft. The only connection he had with the church at all was one of our elders in this little country church had taken an interest in him and brought him to vacation Bible school. A couple of weeks later, he was hit by a car on his bike and killed. None of the family, they, they'd been involved in witchcraft, drugs, all kinds of things. When it came time for the funeral, I've never heard such wailing and weeping. In fact, I had to restrain the mother. Hopeless. That's what the kid, that's the situation here. Hopeless. <clears throat> Jesus said, Why all the commotion? She's not dead. <clears throat> She's sleeping. What'd the crowd do? Ha ha ha. They laughed. 
He sent them all away. I love that. He got them out of the house. Get out of here. Sent them out. And he took the mother and the father, Peter, James, and John, went into the room. And he says, little girl, wake up. And she stood up. And she walked. Miracle. Isn't that amazing? The power of Christ above all else. You know, it brings us to what is this passage all about? You do realize that Mark is one of the historical books that records historically the life of Jesus, but, it, but interwoven throughout the Scripture is always the way God applies it to us. Now let me take it to you this way. There was a common theme between everybody we looked at this morning. There were the terrified disciples who were in the midst of a storm where they thought they were going to die. There was a demon-possessed man that no one could help. There was a distressed father whose daughter was about to die. There was a woman who had been in a terrible sickness for 12 years, and no one could cure her. And there was a little girl who was dead. Hopeless, 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 helpless. But there was one who had the answer. He was in the boat with his disciples. He came to the shore to meet the demon-possessed man. He took a distressed father and gave him hope. And a woman who had lost all hope, and a little girl who had no hope. And in every case, he gave them hope. Do you understand that in life you're going to be placed in situations where you become hopeless and helpless? When I went into the ministry, my mentor, who was my pastor when I left the business world to go to seminary, on one of his parting meetings with me, said, uh, Shelton, I want you to remember something. This is 40 plus years ago. He said, I want you to remember something. Every time you preach, on every row in every pew, there is a hurt. Forty years later, I know, on every row, there's hurt. There's pain. I just heard about one of your beloved members who has been suffering with cancer, Betsy Crovo, who had to be, I'm told, had to be taken to the hospital today. I've been a husband who stood by a wife who was dying. It may not be that kind of a situation, 
But I'll, I'll give you some more that I've dealt with. Marriages. Marriages that are falling to pieces. Turmoil, distress, bitterness between each other. Hey, you lost hope. Mary Ann and I were talking. <laughs> you know, we've been married four years, both in our 60s. She didn't look it, but I do. But we're, we're both in our 60s. And we kind of sat in our ways, you know. Marriage is hard. And we've just realized there's only one real hope. And I don't care how far along you are, or if you think that there is no hope, there is hope. Or maybe you've lost your job, and you see no hope. Maybe you're concerned about the future, and you just don't know, I'm retired. <laughs> Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I want to give you some important things to think about this morning. It's the whole business of suffering. Do you realize how God uses suffering? Do you realize that God used suffering, the suffering of his own son, to redeem us? And he uses suffering in our lives to refine us and to draw us back to himself. There's a health and wealth gospel that goes something like this. Jesus never wants you to be sick. He wants you to be wealthy. Don't believe that. Or this one. You come to Jesus, everything's going to be fine. No more problems. Not true. And I'll tell you why. This is a broken world we live in. Fallen world we live in. And in this broken, fallen world, there are going to be consequences that flow out of it. There's cancer. There's death. There's loss of a of your husband, a spouse, or wife. There are people who lose children, Christians who lose children. There are people who are in painful accidents. There are people in unhealthy relationships, marriages, where it seems like there's no hope. Christians are not exempt from the sufferings of this world. But here's what I've seen happen. One of two things. When people come through those times of suffering, they either run from him in bitterness or they flee under his wings for refuge. When Anne was diagnosed with this cancer, I'm a fixer. When I was going through this time of depression, I couldn't understand it. I've never been depressed before in my life. I don't have that kind of personality. I hit the bottom. I mean the bottom. I could not. Bill McCutcheon was there. I'd call Bill on a Wednesday. And say, Bill, I can't get a sermon together. You got to preach this week. And you know what? He always did. He was there at a critical point in my life, both through Ann's death and my depression. 
There are times that you find in your life that suffering is going to come. What are you going to do with it? What do the disciples do? Wake up, Jesus. Help. What did Jairus do? Jesus, will you please go lay hands? What did the woman do? Only if I can touch the hem of his garment. What are you going to do? The passage that I claimed through those difficult times was a passage in Isaiah that goes like this. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters. Now, the first thing I want to show you about that verse is the first word. What does it say? What does it say? doesn't say if. You will pass through them. When you pass through the waters, here's the difference of a Christian and a non-Christian. A non-Christian is hopeless. But a Christian, here is the hope. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. See the difference? You're in that boat, and, and like those disciples, the storms of life come, and they're fierce. But who was in the boat? You see it? Let me read this verse. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you, my addition, even though it seems like they will. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame will not consume you, my words, even though it seems that you will be. And here's the answer. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You going through the waters? You going through the fire? There's Jesus. Now, I don't know you here at all, but I do assume something. I assume that there are people here that have never really come to grasp the reality of the gospel. And I'm not just saying that to you. I said it to my church in Rock Hill. 30 years I preached. I still go back. And I see people who are religious people, wonderful Presbyterians. But they don't get the gospel. Because you see, they know, <clears throat> they know their sin. You don't have to be convinced of sin. I mean, good gracious, look at your life. Steve Brown once said, uh, Steve, you know, Steve's a PCA pastor. He once said uh, to his congregation, he says, if I knew everything about you, I wouldn't want to be your preacher. But then, of course, he went on to say, but, of course, if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't want me to be your preacher. You know about you, and Jesus knows about you. We're failures. Goodness, I look at the failures of my life, and there are many. But I know this. Jesus paid it all.
every bit. If you've never come to Jesus Christ, look, put aside your religion, put aside your good works, put aside trying to fix yourself. You'll never fix yourself. Come to Jesus. And he, his blood, will wash away our sins forever. Come to him. If you are a believer and you're going through these very difficult times in your life, under his wings and you will find rest for your souls we're going to sing a hymn and I love the words of this hymn the second stanza without thy sweet mercy I could not live here sin would reduce me to utter despair but through the, thy free goodness, my spirit's revived. And he that first made me still keeps me alive. You feel like you're drowning? There he is. And you know what he does when you feel like you're drowning? He jumps in with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? Are y'all asleep? Why? <laughs> Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil because he's there. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you use these words from Mark's gospel to encourage, to deliver to convict, to do what's ever necessary, to pull those who may be even in rebellion against you to yourself and to those who are in the midst of difficulties and troubles who feel like they're drowning, to know the love of Jesus Christ and his saving power. God, bring comfort, give hope, and show us that we are not hopeless because we have him as the anchor of our souls. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.